0: Hey guys, before we dive into this episode, I want to mention show sponsor public goods Now, public goods is your one stop shop for everything that you would need for home and life. Uh, I'm talking about shampoo uh, pantry items. Um, even toothbrushes, razors, everything you can think of that you use on a day-to-day basis, you can find at public goods. And the cool thing about this company is that they've really done their homework. They curate a full lineup of products that have been vetted. You know, they're sustainable, they're environmentally friendly. I'm in love with the shampoo. It's a coconut based shampoo. So I know it's not putting a bunch of chemicals into my hair. And this is 2021. We need to do our homework when it comes to the products we put in and on our bodies. Um, And of course, because they are a sponsor of the show, you know you're gonna get a good deal. If you go to publicgoods.com forward slash unstressed, you get $15 off your first purchase and there's no minimum order. So go to P-U-B-L-I-C- goodscom forward slash unstressed and get your $15 today. This show is also sponsored by Beekeepers Naturals. Now they have a wide variety of bee products like royal jelly, um, hemp honey sticks, but I want to talk to you today about their Bee Elixir Brain Fuel. Now this product comes in these little vials. Don't make the same mistake I did and take the entire vial in one sitting uh, because you will literally be buzzing around like a bee. This thing hacks through brain fog gives your body and your brain such a boost of energy. I mean, it was unlike anything i had ever experienced before. I mean, it was incredible. Um, And it's because it works on your brain uh, as a nootropic, which means it helps elevate the functioning and the processing of your brain. So if you are looking for something to cut through brain fog, to hack productivity, to get deep into the zone, I highly recommend checking out beekeepersnaturals.com and clicking on their Bee Elixir Brain Fuel and use my code unstressed so you can save. Has the practice of prayer, meditation, and gratitude helped you get through this past year? Well, if you're like many mothers, the answer is unequivocally yes. In this episode, I'm speaking with Sarah Bessie. She's a best-selling faith writer, and we're discussing her new book, A Rhythm of Prayer, and how during this time of upheaval, stress, and burnout, it's our open communication and connection to God and to each other that has the power to change everything. And this was such an uplifting conversation to have. I was completely blown away by her genius, and I know that it's going to be uplifting to you. So if it is, please share it with a friend and keep those reviews coming because that is the best way that we can get episodes like this out to more and more moms all over the world. So please enjoy my episode with Sarah Bessie. Well, hello, Sarah. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so I just, I have to know what inspired you to write this book at this particular moment in your life and how is it different than some of the past Mm. ones we've seen from you? Oh, that's a
1: good question. Um, Well, it's different in that it's a collaborative book. So um, I've never worked on one of those as a lead before. Um, I've contributed to a few other people's books and written my own, but this was the first time that I got to kind of shepherd that process and, um, you know, help bring in teachers and leaders that actually uh, teach and lead me and be able to kind of almost create this, um, I don't want to say virtual prayer circle because it's a very, you know, <laughs> feels quite analog sometimes, but there's this sense of um, community and having this chorus of voices that I really appreciated about this book. And in terms of what inspired it, it's probably two things Um, I think the first one is that I love to pray, Mm. um, which sounds a little bit, you know, I guess odd to say that baldly, but I um, have always loved to pray. um, And it's something that I love to do within my community and within Evolving Faith, which is another community that I lead and within uh, my books, even almost every single one of my books ends with this, you know, benediction or prayer. And yet, I think a lot of people who maybe interact uh, with my work um, struggle with prayer. Mm. And so, or feel disassociated from it or disappointed that the ways that they used to pray, they can't pray that way anymore and wonder if that means that they don't get to pray. And so, I think that a lot of it came from a lot of those conversations of people kind of saying, I, I love that you pray, How? What does this look like? And what does this even mean for this time? For how do you pray in the middle of an apocalypse? How do you pray when you feel like your prayers have not been answered? How do you pray when the pathways you're used to know for prayer have disappeared entirely? So that was, I think, the initial primary motivation. Um, But when I actually sat down to begin working on this, it was um, just in the immediate aftermath of losing um, one of my dearest friends, uh, Rachel Held Evans. Uh, who had passed away in May of 2019, and so this was—that was when I really wanted to put my hand to this. I think because I needed the prayer circle, mm. I needed um, the work of prayer. I needed the women who gathered around this project. Um, I needed to rest in their language of prayer for a time, and uh, and that was really healing and transformative for me. It was a big part of that first year of grieving. Yeah. And so I think that my hope then is for for the book then is that a lot of us have been in this season of grief and sorrow and rage, um, disappointment, and that this actually holds space for all of that. That's a lot of words, but that's
0: it. No, no, I think that was so beautifully said. And and going back what what you said, I think so many people do feel like they don't know how to pray, or maybe they never learned how to pray growing up. Right. So. I mean, what what's your advice to them to kind of ease back into that space, that sense of comfort um, and communication with something greater? Uh, how would you how would you get them to start?
1: Mm, that's a good question too. I, you know, I think that for me, it took it took losing prayer the way that I had been taught or understood it to actually begin to open me up to all the ways that we can pray, um, which I think has a lot of room for whatever experience people have um, brought into prayer. I think oftentimes at the front end, there's a sense of loss. There's almost this threshold of grief um, that that is a part of our lives that oftentimes we're maybe not as, as great at acknowledging is that uh, prayer could feel like a liminal space. Mm. But I think that the biggest invitation that I have found in prayer over these years is that you get to bring your whole self to prayer. And it doesn't have to look like formulas or rules. It can be liturgy. It can be things that have meant something to you or have maybe meant something to the people whom you have loved. But you don't have to pretend that you are not as tired as you are or that you aren't as longing and yearning as you are. That you aren't as happy or joyful or um, it's not performative. And I think that that's the biggest invitation that I learned through all of the different rhythms that we find in our lives is that those have rhythms in prayer as well. Um, Whether it's times when you're needing to have, you know, um, you know, do some serious rage praying, which I have definitely done, you know, or you're needing to just rest in silence. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, it is an altar that has room for the full experience of being human uh, because that's not, that's not less holy If anything, I think oftentimes our most human moments are our most sacred moments. And the invitation to prayer then is to acknowledge that and notice that um, and abide within it,
0: I think. Yeah. And I think that's one of my most favorite things about your work is, is when you mention Jesus and how he is so human and how he acknowledges our humanness and how that's actually good. Like you're okay that you're human and you're messing up and you don't (laughs) maybe feel as close to your partner as you did, or, you know, the, the throes of motherhood can, can shift and change you. So how has your, your rudimentary faith, you know, your relationship with Jesus enabled you to grow and learn and to be, to give yourself that grace, really, when you, when you do hit a wall in life? I think that um, the place
1: where I, probably the altar where I learned that the most, or the crucible where I learned that the most, uh, is in motherhood, Um, which I know is not everybody's story. I'm not necessarily saying that my way, obviously, is the only way, or this is the only way to have that sort of revelation. That's certainly not true, but The reality is, is that that's where I first encountered and began to understand the sacredness of being human and the unconditional nature of God's love. Um, We have four kids and uh, they range from kindergarten to high school. So (laughs) it's a busy household, (laughs) but we had our first three in four years. Wow. And then a number of years later we had one last little one who came along. But and I remember in those really early days of motherhood, um, you know, four year old, two year old, you know, baby still nursing. And how I used to just my husband and I used to stand over their bed when they'd fall asleep there's nothing better than sleeping children
0: (laughs) it's like all the rush of love returns right (laughs) (laughs) there's that
1: love (laughs) exactly aren't they wonderful that's when you get lulled uh into having another so we ended we ended up I remember these very very clearly moments of just standing in their room just almost like clutching our chest and just like telegraphing with our eyes over their little bodies like They're amazing. Yeah. Look at this and just how much love we had for them. And that began to reset some broken bones that I had developed about God's love for us Um, to heal, I think, and begin to understand the unconditional, um, unchanging love of Jesus. And then once you know that, I think that that's the point when that stains backwards over your life. And even changes how you approach all the things that you come uh, forward to then afterwards. Um, But I think maybe because, too, I sensed God's presence the most in maybe some of the hardest moments of motherhood as well. I mean, which it can be, it can break your heart and Mm. it can be the thing that, um, you know, exposes you. And so I think that even in those processes, um, those things reset my understanding of god my understanding of love my understanding
0: of um the endurance of that for sure how oh, i love that answer and i completely understand and i know the woman listening to this understands those elizabeth gilbert bathroom floor moments when you're just like you're <laughs> tapped out you're tired your boobs hurt i mean all the things and you're like okay all right i'm i'm ready to listen um but when you pray how do you differentiate that from say meditation or you know a mindfulness practice or because it really is, it seems to be more of a communication process rather than just, you know, getting still? Or is it not?
1: Um, I think the answer for me could probably be a, a both and, you know, in, in a lot of ways. A lot of times I start oftentimes meditation and it always almost always turns into some something that feels more um, communal. Mm -hmm. I guess is maybe a a way to say that. And then at the same time, there's times when I am praying where it just becomes resting. And it becomes that sense of timelessness and and, um, abiding, I think, that meditation can bring as well. So, I mean, for me, I feel like maybe the lines are a bit blurry. um, And I'm open to the path that those things lead me on. Um, both of them have been really necessary. I've, you know, it's funny too, because I remember hearing years ago, um, this would have been from a pastor back in my early twenties. So probably 20 years ago now, I remember hearing, um, a pastor say that the same part of me that worries is the part of you that can pray. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can definitely worry without ceasing. I think everyone. <laughs> <can. laughs> and, so, and so for me, that was almost my first, very first invitation to that kind of abiding prayer. Yeah. Um, but to me, meditation is a different sort of um, attention and a different sort of um, intention even uh, to it that has uh, less of a uh, constancy and more of a... Um, a place you almost sink into and then you know rise from again. I don't know if any of that makes sense. Sometimes it's hard for me to talk adequately about the woo-woo aspect of things, which (laughs) I can be
0: I can be very woo woo. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. No, no, and I totally get it. Like I totally I followed the flow and I, I I can honestly relate because it's like when you are in that state of prayer, even with your if you're praying with someone else, it's a much different energy than if you're sitting down on a cushion and trying to leave your body. And now a quick break with a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Beekeepers Naturals. And like the name implies, all of the products with Beekeepers Naturals are derived from bees and what they produce. So things like bee propolis, royal jelly, everything that's found in a hive that's been reformulated for you to use to help keep you healthy. And what I think a lot of people don't know is that propolis and royal jelly is packed with antioxidants and virus and bacteria fighting elements. And actually, the founder Carly Stein was on the show a few episodes back talking about the incredible benefit. So I'll link that in the show notes, but it's amazing what, incorporating natural uh, substances can do, because your body recognizes them. It can use them effectively. And then you don't suffer any crazy side effects. And actually, Cameron Diaz was just talking to the founder the other day on Instagram about how much she loves the products. So you know, if Cameron Diaz is into the company, you know, it's got to be good. So head on over to beekeepersnaturals.com and use my code unstressed to save. Um, But was there anything that was surprising when you were putting together this book, working with this circle of women, um, something about prayer, you know, you, you figure you get it, you got it by now. Did anything surprise you?
1: Um, I think there were, there were a number of things that surprised me and I think will surprise people who read it mainly because I think a lot of times we've been sold a particular narrative around in particular women praying, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you kind of, you know, flashed to, you know, pictures with flowers, uh, books with flowers unfurling on the cover, you know, it's quite, quite precious, right? Um, and so I think that that was the thing that I may surprise people the most about this book is how raw it is, and how in a lot of ways, it was never about. So for instance, for me, it's never been about saying, Um, you've lost all the pathways of prayer, or maybe you don't know how to pray, or you would like to investigate prayer. Here's a nice tidy set of answers for you to pray. Go ahead and take these, you know, away you go. To me, it was almost more about um, getting a chance to peek or sit in the room with other people who pray. And so it was really important to me to have a vast um, collection in terms of all the ways people pray. So we have people who admit that they don't pray a whole lot in in these, um, you know, in, in their contribution that they find that prayer is more in stillness. Um, you know, we have poetry, we have people who talk about what their practice of prayer is. Um, and then others actually, you know, created, um, you know, a, a, there's a liturgy for uh, uh, welcoming disabled people to your for communities in your life. There's Um, also what, you know, practices around, um, you know, people's homes. And so Mm. I think that those were the things that surprised me the most in that I'm endlessly, um, intrigued by how, when you offer an invitation, everyone will respond to it differently and will bring their gifts and their voice and their experiences to it. And that gift, I think, creates the permission for all of us then to be able to explore all the ways we want to pray or try to pray or, you know, experiment almost and play, you know, have a sense of curiosity and wonder about prayer, um, which I think would surprise people. And it surprised me and it blessed me. Um, There are practices that the women in this book talk about that I've never allowed myself to really explore. And that permission, um, the naming of particular things was actually really important to me um, Mm. as they began to come in. And so, yeah, I think that that's something that surprised me and probably will surprise some other people. Um, But in a way, I think even that disruption is good for us. Oh, yeah. Um, right it's it, there's if it's all predictable and all something you've seen before then it's probably not necessary <laughs> so I think there's even something to be said about the disruption and the discomfort that sometimes comes from peeking into someone else's prayer life and saying what's the invitation for me here um that that was a, a really uh instructive and insightful and transformative thing
0: for me yeah. Yeah cuz isn't that how our minds are designed you know we explore we take what serves us we leave what doesn't and then we get better in the process so yeah to have uh, an exposure to to other women's you know really quiet moments of prayer mm-hmm. and and contemplation and and asking for help you know cuz how often is prayer that just asking for help it does kind of let our shoulders drop and like okay you know we are kind of a global community I'm not in this in my own tiny little existence suffering alone like there's there's so much more out there just by you know picking up a book and turning a page and and reading someone else's Mm -hmm. story I love that yeah wow that's so true yeah. So talk to me a little. I love this quote that I read about you. It was You said, uh, Paul calls for powers and principalities. So talk to us about your view on that and how prayer helps with that.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: you're going to expose to
1: all your poor people how weird I am, Liz. I'm sorry. No, I love it. <laughs> I love sure. the alliteration. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so I come from a faith tradition that is adjacent to Pentecostalism. And so Pentecostals, um, can be, uh, definitely on the, um, listen, we're just all the way here for naming and claiming and <laughs> for, uh, you know, embodied worship and for, um, you know, even embodied experiences with God. And there can, there have definitely been a lot of shadow sides to that, to my life and my faith that I've had to, you know, kind of deconstruct and, um, and figure out like you said, right. What. What is it that's worth bringing forward in my life? And what are some really unhelpful things that I need to lay down, right? And uh, and leave behind. But there's this passage in scripture where Paul talks about the powers and principalities of this world, right? The things that we are warring against are not of flesh and blood. They're not actually people. They're powers and principalities of, of this world. And for me, I felt like, the powers and principalities language is really helpful to keep me from dehumanizing people with whom I disagree. And it's really helpful to remind me to pray for my enemies, which Mm -hmm. I think is one of the hardest things that Jesus asked for us to do. Um, There is a gorgeous prayer in this book by Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes. And she models this really well, this cry to not, have to pray for our enemies, or pray for those who oppose us. Um, and I think that powers and principalities lets me name the thing that's behind the thing. It lets me name and, and, and call out um, and almost even rebuke, right, things like white supremacy and homophobia and transphobia and war and dehumanization, and all the ways that these things are embodied in our culture and in our life. I think it's really helpful for me to remember it's not something that's necessarily about my neighbor or about the person in front of me who was made in the image of God and worthy of love and respect and value, um, but to see the thing behind the thing. And that's the thing that I find really helpful in prayer. Um, it may or may not be helpful to everybody, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but it's helpful for me um, in terms of naming the bigness and the vastness of maybe the forces that are behind some of these apocalyptic things. That have unveiled and revealed themselves to us and doesn't get me off the hook of praying
0: for my enemy either. Mm. And I think that's such a much harder thing to do, to look at the big picture, to look at the big ideas that are, you know, causing people to believe certain things and then act in certain ways and just to be able to step back you know, and have that bird's eye view. I mean, not only, you know, it's a nice thing to do, but really for yourself, for your own body's chemistry and what, you know, what we're pumping into our own bodies from the thoughts that we're having. I mean, it's just such a healing thing to do for yourself. I mean, I completely see that. I respect that, even though it's so incredibly hard. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think there's a sense of almost release to that. Um, Yeah, The grandmothers and the prayer circles, of my youth and you know a, a lot of times too, the people that I learned to pray from uh often talked about this idea of like casting your cares right upon Jesus uh which sounds really great and is almost impossible <laughs> <laughs> go on great. <laughs> <That sounds weird. laughs> It's almost like one of those, like, really unhelpful things people say to you when you're having a hard time, right? Where it just almost feels just as, as patronizing, right? <laughs> it's like when people tell someone who's depressed, like, just relax. Right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, champ, you know. <laughs> but there's this sense of, I think, that sort of practice of releasing uh, even control, of releasing um, control of outcomes, of recognizing our place um, There has elements of casting your cares, or it feels like a, an embodied practice for that, even though I don't know if that's necessarily what the grandmothers in the prayer circle meant when they, they said it.
0: But maybe that's it. Yeah, but how do you balance that? How do you balance you know, having a faith practice, praying every day, while also being a mother, you know, a writer, you're, you know, you're running your your career, your business, so you have to be on the ball and looking at the facts as they come. How do you balance with, with trusting in God and trusting in, you know, the universe to, that you're on the right path and that everything is going to be okay? Oh, my goodness. Is there... I'm asking this for myself. No. Yeah. <laughs> and all of us and all of us listening, because we're all in that That's spot, you know, yeah. we all want that.
1: You know that's an interesting way of looking at it. I guess I've never, I think, especially maybe in the last, you know, fifteen years or, or you know, a little, a little bit longer than that, probably. But in these number of years of of raising kids, um, the notions and ideas of the guardrails of what holiness or practice for or spiritual practice um, or prayer look like, they just get blown to hell by that, right? Like, it's all well and good to talk about, you know, needing to rise early for quiet time. But you know what? Listen, if you're up with the baby all night, settle down. Jesus wants you back in your bed. (laughs) So I don't think that heaping a lot of expectation and shame and guilt, um, especially on women who are in that tender uh, time of raising children, is, you know, anything that's helpful or necessary, certainly not. um, Something that I think serves them well. I think that the invitation then for me in, you know, raising four kids and having a vocation and trying to, you know, have a a marriage in the midst of all that and be a good friend and, you know, have all the elements that kind of, you know, come into your life. Um, I think for me, it meant that I had to blur the lines and soften the edges of what holiness and spirituality mean. That instead of compartmentalizing that in my life, it had to become fully integrated. It had to be a part of everything that I was doing, not in a sense of here are the guardrails for when I'm being spiritual. (laughs) Here are the guardrails for when I am, here's the the set time in my schedule in which I will sit down and be, you know, connected with with God Um, or feel more of a sense of a connection to love. I think that the invitation of the incarnation is really summed up in that uh, one of the names for God that has come to mean a tremendous amount to me in the last couple of years, which is Emmanuel. It's God with us. Hmm. It's not God with us only when we're sitting with, you know, a five-point Bible study, or God with us when we're able to make it to church on time. I mean, there were numbers of years, I mean, pandemic notwithstanding, where the majority of my church experiences were spent in the mother's room nursing babies and just hanging out with other women, because you know Hmm. what? Children would not behave. And, you know, God with us only when we're able to kind of, you know, tick these boxes in some sky chart that we have devised from some form of, you know, whatever, you know, scorekeeping, like God's somehow a banker. Um, I think that instead the invitation of Emmanuel of God with us is God with us in all those places. God with us when we're washing hairs of babies and God with us when we're cooking and God with us when we are in hospitals, and when we are in boardrooms, and when we are in back alleys, and whenever we are at our supper table with friends or our children, it's God with us. And the invitation is in all of these places, in all of these moments, there's no need really for those guardrails or boundaries for what is a place where we meet with God and with our truest self, with revelation, even with understanding, with transformation. Um, I think that that shift Means that the pressure is off, yeah. and the invitation is always open. Does that make sense? Yes,
0: absolutely. Okay. And now, like I, I completely understand why you're so beloved by you know the modern mother in the world because we can't live up to our grandparents' expectations. You know, it, the world is drastically different than it's ever been, and it's you know I feel like it's rapidly increasing every single year. So to hear someone like you say that to give us all the permission, you know, and, and I love that you're like, you know, I'm not perfect. And this is how I am. Like, we need to hear that, you know, the woman, everyday woman needs to hear that because otherwise you've got anxiety and depression and that, that ever present mm-hmm. feeling of guilt that you're just not doing enough or being enough. So I love that you said that, and that is such a gift, you know, and would mm-hmm. you say that that is yeah, the core of your mission? What is your mission? What is your intent for this book and all the others that you put out into the world?
1: Hmm. You know, I wish. That's a that's a good question. You know, I think with almost every book, there was a different invitation that I felt. Um, you know, I think with my with my first book, with Jesus Feminist, I was really wanting to almost bridge the gap for people who um, began to kind of re understand or reimagine what it meant to be a woman in the kingdom of God. Uh, what the invitation was there, right? For both men and women. And even with Out of sorts, I think there was a lot of a sense of permission with Miracles, which is, uh, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, which is my most uh, memoir-driven book that I've written before. Um, and then Rhythm of Prayer. I mean, all of them have been so incredibly different and met such a different need that it's almost been surprising uh, in a way. I think that I'm never done being surprised by the things that God gets up to. But at the core, I think of almost everything that I have said and done, even the things that are, you know, smaller or peripheral, maybe to maybe how people interact with sometimes with my work, like a newsletter or hell, an Instagram caption, right? Like I just, I think that for me, the thing that I'm always wanting to communicate and have people understand is that you're already loved, that you don't earn it, that it's not being withheld that it is not based on what you do or don't do that. It's not a pre there's not things you need to do as a prerequisite to be loved and that within that love there's liberation and that liberation extends not just for you and the people in your household, but that liberation, I think, especially for women, um, has implications and beautiful devastating consequences for our lives and for our neighborhoods and our communities. Um, there's this really beautiful um, Chinese proverb that says, when sleeping women wake, mountains move. Mm. And I think that that sort of love awakens women. And when women are awake, I think that these are the invitations we find. And so prayer is a way we awaken. I think um, telling our stories and owning them is another way we awaken. Um, Linking arms with other women you know, giving up on the narratives of shame and expectations and enoughness, like you spoke about, I think those are all ways we awaken one another. Um, And so yeah, I think that's, I don't know if I've articulated that well, but I think that's probably where I'm getting at.
0: No, that was, that was perfectly said, you know, that was so beautiful. And I think we can all feel lighter and feel more joy and more love from that alone and a rhythm of prayer is is just a a great tool to to get us all there so thank you for pulling it together and putting it out into the world um where can our audience find your work online find the book tell us all the things (laughs) that's very
1: generous of you thank you Liz um, good hub is just Sarah that has links to my books, uh my newsletter, which is called Field Notes, uh, Evolving Faith, which is a community uh that I co-lead and co-created that um kind of creates like conversations and conferences and podcasts for people who are deconstructing religion and wanting to rebuild something that still is life-giving in the world. So that's a good spot for people as well. And all the links to all my social media are there too. But honestly, I'm Sarah Bessie everywhere on all the places not on TikTok, but <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> is to limiting belief. No. Uh, I, I, know. I think it. there's some sort of keep out Gen X on that map. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, this was such a joy and, and I, you know, I've, I'm definitely a woman who meditates and believes in self-love and self-care and, and prayer, I think is something that, I've been lacking in my life and so just to speak with you and to have this book out in the world i think is the encouragement that i needed and i think so many women who tune into this show got that as well so thank you
1: thank you that means a lot to me to hear liz thank you very much for the invitation and for such a generative conversation
0: you have been listening to the motherhood unstressed podcast and i'm your host liz carlisle thank you so much for tuning in i'm so grateful that we got this time together today And if you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would share it out on your social media. Make sure to tag us at Motherhood Unstressed. Connect with us at Motherhood Unstressed. I'd love to connect with you uh, and see where the work has gone in the world. And make sure that you subscribe so that you never miss out on an amazing interview with an incredible guest or our weekly guided meditations every Wednesday.